The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. Today we hear from Nick Berryman at Safa Sussex about the work the organisation does for people at all stages in their military career. Cole Morton is here to tell us about his encounter with the Queen and his new podcast series, Can We Talk? And Julie Welland, Learning Manager at Wakehurst, will be explaining about the Nature Unlocked research they've been doing over the past year. Plus, in our look back at some of the best bits from Meridian FM over the last couple of weeks, Paul Tolmy will be discovering more about the Men Share Listening Group that offers support to men aged 18 plus who may be going through a tough and challenging time in their lives. And Chris Watts will be talking to renowned international journalist Jennifer Glass about her memories of the Queen. SAFA is the Armed Forces Charity. They've over 4,000 trained welfare advisors and volunteers worldwide, providing support to people at all stages in their military career. They also work with several other organisations to ensure financial, practical or emotional support is available to those in need. Former RF pilot Nick Berryman is from the Sussex branch of SAFA and is here to tell us more. Nick, thanks for joining us. Can you start by explaining a little more about SAFA and the work you do here in Sussex? Indeed, yes. Thanks, thanks for uh, inviting me onto the programme. Um, yes, I'm the chairman of, uh, of Sussex branch of uh, SAFA. Um, and basically, the, our, our main job, as opposed to the, uh, the many things that the national part of the uh, charity does, is to provide trained caseworkers to visit veterans and dependents to find out what kind of assistance they need. Uh, and when we do, then to find the right kind of source of support and arrange for the clients to, to get hold of it. That could be uh, special equipment for someone with a disability or adaptions to a property uh, so that older clients can remain at home uh, or perhaps funds for rental deposits. Uh, caseworkers also signpost clients to special local services such as uh, benefits, housing, mental health, that kind of thing. So how can veterans and their families access these services? Well, there's, there's quite a lot of ways. Uh, if they, particularly um, if they're able to access the internet, if they just look up or they Google Saffa Sussex or just Saffa, they will come across a, uh, a telephone number. Uh, and that takes us to what we call the hub, which is a central uh, phone number. Uh, and then they will send people on to the, uh, the particular area of Sussex that they live in. Uh, and then what we do is we, we find out what they need and, uh, and what their situation is, basically. But uh, the SAFA Sussex number, if you need support of any kind, it's 0800 260 Now, you're ex-military yourself. How did you get involved with SAFA? Well, I, I knew about SAFA, and I, everybody in the military has heard of SAFA, I suppose. Uh, I wasn't involved with it. Um, one of those things if you need it you know about them if you don't need it you, you don't really pay much attention but I, I knew SAFA existed and I knew basically what they did and um, after I finished my aviation career um, which was uh, beginning of or during lockdown basically I worked in uh, civil and military aviation for 56 years actually um, and when I took redundancy at the end of uh, 2020 I was basically looking for something useful to do um, so I was looking on the Sussex volunteering site and I, I discovered that Saffa was in dire need of a chairman and, uh, and I volunteered and they took me on. Now, at the moment, you're specifically looking for volunteers. What sort of people do you need? Well, basically, we've got, we've got a need for quite a few different kinds of volunteers or 
our major uh, need at the moment is for what we call caseworkers. And these are the trained volunteers uh, who go out uh, to meet, hopefully to meet face to face, uh, the clients in their homes uh, so that they can discover what their needs are, what their resources are, etc. Uh, there's a fair bit of training involved in that, um, either online or, or face to face, um, and, and obviously kind of self-learning to find out what kind of uh, resources there are, which takes a little bit of time. Uh, and it needs commitment and commitment to help veterans and commitment to do the, the necessary training because caseworkers, as you can imagine, they go into people's houses, they need, uh, you know, GDPR and, and safeguarding training, this kind of thing. We also need uh, treasurers. Uh, we've got six divisions in the county, uh, each with its own uh, divisional secretary, which we're short of as well, um, and each with its own treasurer. Uh, so we need, we need those. Again, training is available for anybody that's prepared to do that. As you can imagine, divisional secretary uh, has a little bit more uh, time commitment, if you like, uh, than any of the other jobs. Then we need uh, um, visitors. These are people who, who will go to visit veterans or their dependents in their homes, um, basically to talk to them, and find out if they, you know, how they are, and just basically give them some kind of support without actually doing case working. Uh, that is a bit, bit more of a flexible job. Uh, it still needs safeguarding, of course, that kind of thing, but it uh, it does take less work and obviously less time. Uh, but they're very useful um, uh, because obviously a lot of veterans, particularly the older ones, and we've got, we've got veterans, you know, kind of in their 90s and, and probably in their 100s, as far as I know, um, and, they, and they do like a little bit of support, uh, not necessarily from somebody who's ex-service themselves, uh, but of course it does help um, that they've got something in common to talk about, I guess. And then just basically help us. People, we know, for fundraising, uh, we need help putting a, a gazebo up or whatever, uh, just people who are generally willing to, to help out with whatever needs doing. And if there's anyone out there listening that wants to be a volunteer, do they need any specific skills to start off with or are you looking for a particular time commitment from them? Well, obviously, you know, if you're talking about treasurers, then obviously uh, numeracy is pretty important. Um, but uh, they don't have to be uh, trained accountants or anything like that. Uh, when it comes to uh, caseworkers, then really, it, I say it's commitment, it's, uh, it's empathy. Uh, we, we are not judgmental. We, we don't judge people's situation. We try and cope with whatever they are. And of course, there are veterans with all sorts of uh, situations. We have two prisons, for instance, in the county. We've got Lewis uh, and we've got Ford and we have veterans in the prison as we look after them as well as we can as well so to be non-judgmental to have empathy uh, and to have commitment uh, to the charity basically so if any of that's of interest what's the best way to get in touch if they're looking to volunteer then they can certainly call me personally uh, and that number is my mobile zero seven seven four five five two nine 829 and they can then see if that's the kind of thing they would like to do i'd love to speak to anybody that's interested really that's great nick thanks so much for joining me today well thank you very much for having me on the program that's great and a reminder of that contact information again to find out more about the work the organization does you can visit safa.org.uk forward slash sussex 
That's ssafa.org.uk forward slash Sussex. For support, you can call SAFA directly on 0800 260 That's 0800 260 And if you're interested in volunteering, call Nick Berryman on 07745 529 829. That's 07745 529 829. We'll post all of those details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. A few months ago, we spoke to Sussex-based journalist Cole Morton about his new podcast series, Can We Talk?, in which he tells of his encounters with a range of incredible people, from the famous to the infamous to the otherwise extraordinary. He's just begun a new series, and I'm delighted to be rejoined by Cole to tell us more. Cole, welcome to the show. Before we find out who you'll be featuring in this new series, remind us what the premise is for the podcast. Hello, Tim. So these are crafted true short stories about encounters with, as you say, remarkable people. Um, And they're reflecting on what we can learn from those people and from those encounters about how to live better, really how to connect with each other or with ourselves, with nature, with the divine, if we believe in that. So it's about human connection. It's about learning from each other. And it's about sharing stories. You've obviously had a positive response in order to put together some new episodes. Why do you think the podcast has been so popular? Well, I think on one level, you know, people want to uh, know what it's like to be in the room with, in, in Series 1, Scarlett Johansson, Tiger Woods, Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, the Queen, who we might talk about. And actually, the end of that series was a refugee called Zara who came across the channel on a rubber dinghy one Christmas morning. And the, the premise of that was to demonstrate, really, that um, we, we are all human. Underneath whatever surrounds us, we are all human. And that's the thread that runs through the six in series one and I think people really responded to the idea of finding out some of the humanity of of people that they think of as maybe icons or or distant um but also I think people just want to be told stories you know Uh, um I'm asking people to send me theirs in response and some of the stories I'm getting back are beautiful of remarkable people that, that have been met But I think there's something about sitting down or walking the dog and listening to someone telling you a story in your ear that is intimate and crafted and first person and is about an encounter and takes you into the room that I'm really happy to say people are finding quite compelling, or at least they tell me that it is. I guess at the end of the day, we're all storytellers in our own little way, aren't we? Well, we are. We build our lives on stories. We define ourselves by the stories we tell, and and we define, define who we aren't by the stories we tell sometimes. So to make that conscious and to say to people, look, let's share each other's stories. There's a, there's a quote from Desmond Tutu in series one, which is around the idea of a thing that he uh, described as Ubuntu, which is the, the idea that I am because we are. I can only function fully as a human being if I'm in community, if I'm sharing with other people and learning from them. And I passionately believe that. That's what this is all about. So to get inside the story of, for example, Tiger Woods or Her Majesty the Queen or Zara the Refugee, gives people an understanding of themselves as well as of that person. Now, as you've just mentioned, one of the people you talk about encountering in the first series is the Queen. How did that come about? I took my mum to meet the Queen. How many people can say that? Isn't that great? Um, I met her. Uh, It was an encounter rather than an interview. I want to make that clear because she didn't do interviews. 
Um, I spent the night in the Thomas More cell at the Tower of London, first person to do that for 500 years uh, in order to um, raise money for the restoration of the chapel of St. Peter at Vincula, St. Peter in Chains, which is where kings and queens are buried within the tower. Um, and as a result of that piece, uh, which I, I have to tell you, spending the night in a cell at the Tower of London is, is no easy thing. And the, head, and the former head of the British Army, as he closed the door on me, said, I really wouldn't do this. At which point I went, oh, OK. Um, anyway, I did that. And as a result of that, I was invited to the re rededication of the chapel. Um, there were only probably, I think, 40 people, maybe 50 there. And I got to take my mum. And um, that was really quite a day, I have to tell you. But that's why I was there anyway. Obviously, a lot's been spoken about the Queen in recent weeks. In the podcast, you talk about her being the embodiment of a nation. Has her death made you reflect again on your own encounter in any way? Yeah, it has really. I mean, one of the things that struck me when I met her was that you know you, again you you see the humanity of the person uh, at that point i think she was 90 she was tiny she was um uh, you know she had had the the body of a 90 year old but she was in, it, kind of inhabiting this one of those great bright uh, structured outfits that she used to wear to make herself visible from from far away so i just got the sense of this woman who at that point was with Prince Philip and uh, during the service they exchanged a little glance and he made her laugh and she had to put her head down so that she didn't laugh in the middle of a hymn um, and there was a real burst of humanity there and I think that's what a lot of people have said when they talked about meeting her or encountering her and I and I really got the sense of this woman in uh, the midst of something huge something symbolic something powerful and what I said at the what I say at the end of that story is if you're going to survive that level of symbolism and that level of um, grafted on meaning, then you've got to have somebody or something that you hold on to for dear life in the middle of it. And for her, it was clearly Philip and it was also clearly her understanding of the Christian faith. So what I was struck by again in the funeral, in the midst of all that, pomp and circumstance and, and great exhibition of power and glory were the human moments really um two bits got me I think in in common with a lot of people I was really touched by the moments when the lone piper played uh, sleep deary sleep and then walked away from either the abbey or the or the chapel and so the pipes receded into the distance and there's something about music that really touches the soul and then to hear it fade away really really it's it's metaphorical and poetical but it still brings you close to the moment of what's actually happening and the other thing that really really got me was just before it all started when they brought the coffin out at the uh, palace of westminster there was a moment when the bearers brought it out black rod was in front of it and it was just before the band struck up and it was the last kind of personal moment before all this pomp and circumstance started and I think throughout the day with things like seeing Charlotte and George, uh, Charles crying at the end, there was a reminder that whatever else this is, it's a private uh, family affair. 
Um, and I'm by instinct, actually, I, I don't think necessarily that a monarchy is is the best way to have a right and just and equal society. So, but, but I have enormous admiration for her as a woman. Um, and I was, you said just now, was she the embodiment of a nation? To me, somehow she managed to pull off uh, the achievement of being somebody who was the embodiment of service within a structure that is almost kind of the opposite. It's about glorifying the position, but somehow she managed to be a servant within that. And I think to do that for 70 years in a position that let's be frank in the past has been the end of many women was something miraculous and something to treasure and something for us to be grateful for because of the stability it brought us. Yeah. I think it's something we're unlikely to see again in our lifetimes, really. Let's talk a little now about your latest series of the podcast. Who are the people that you're going to be talking about and how did you meet them? So this time around, um, we take a slightly different tack. We start with another Hollywood legend, Susan Sarandon, uh, who is a lifelong activist as well as obviously the star of Thelma and Louise and Dead Man Walking, all of those great films that she's been in. I, this, was an, this was a Zoom encounter. And, it, and I reflect on that, what Zoom did to us, really. Um, the way that Zoom makes us a bit, a bit like the stepmother in Snow White. You know, we, we, we stare into the Zoom screen wondering if we're fair enough to do this. And meeting Susan Sarandon over Zoom, I thought this isn't going to go very far. It's going to be quite formal. But really, it wasn't because there's something sometimes about Zoom that makes people relax because they're in their own space and they're just talking to a screen and they tell you extraordinary things. And my goodness, did she tell me something extraordinary about her life and her, her activism and why she does it. But also she, she had a relationship with David Bowie for se several years, more or less in private. And then towards the end of his life, they were uh, reconciled. She went to see him and she said to me, they've, said the things that former lovers say and then there's a story that she tells about what happened at the very end which will take your breath away I'm not going to tell you it now um you'll have to tune in and listen to the story uh, as it's told but uh, it was amazing breathtaking um the second one is about Samo Farah and London 2012 and uh that was written um, and uh, recorded just as he was revealing his his real name and the story of what happened to him so it, it dwells on that but it also talks about us as a nation the things that we learned in 2012 and whether they're still around um who we got after that oh clive james um the great australian writer who uh spoke to me just before he died he he had been very public about the cancer that was killing him and then he was in this strange period where he expected to, to not see out the winter. And then he lived another couple of years. And that was the moment in which I saw him, where he, he sort of publicly de declared what was happening. And then he was sort of wondering where he stood, really. It was a beautiful, poignant afternoon. And in that episode, there's a recording, by permission of the family, where he tells a, a poem about what he wants to happen to his ashes. And again heartbreaking moment and re really very touching um then the one that's coming up next week for me is the most powerful of, of the series it's the last ever major interview with dame vera lynn who as you know uh, lived in ditchling in sussex and who 
obviously is a, an icon of the 20th century. It was a beautiful thing that happened. My nan was around the same age and she used to sing me this song up the wooden hills to Bedfordshire, which was Dame Vera's first recording uh, back in the 30s. And I, I, I'm sitting there in Ditchling with Dame Vera and she started to sing this song to me that my nan used to sing when I, when I was a little kid. And even now, as I'm telling you now, Tim, it's given me a bit goosebumps talking about it. And, and she reflects on her war service, what it was like to be uh, in Burma during the war, what they did immediately afterwards. And we also talk about We'll Meet Again, which Justin Welby just mentioned in the Queen, Queen's funeral. That anthem that in the beginning was about we'll, we'll meet again when the war is over. Then it became we'll meet again in the afterlife because some of you have died. Then it became about veterans uh, thinking of meeting their 19-year-old fallen comrades again. And then during lockdown, it became something else about we'll meet again when all this is over. But incredible song that touches all of us. And so that episode with Dame Vera in person explores all of that. And then there's two more. But um, for, for now, those are the ones that you should look out for. Fantastic. Reminders how people can listen. Anywhere you get your podcast. So it could be Spotify, Apple, Acast, you can go to. Um, uh, Google, uh, just search for Cole Morton's Can We Talk and you'll find it there. Or you can find me on social media, Cole Morton, C-O-L-E-M-O-R-E-T-O-N, and you'll find me endlessly banging on about it so you can follow a link from there. <laughs> That's great. Cole, thanks so much for joining me today and all the best for the new series. Always a great pleasure, Tim. Thank you so much. We'll post a link to the podcast on our social media feeds on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. In addition to the links mentioned already, you can find out more about the award-winning writer and broadcaster at ColeMorton.com. That's C-O-L-E-M-O-R-T-O-N.com. Over the past year, Wakehurst has become a living laboratory for Kew scientists researching the value of UK biodiversity to help find nature-based solutions to critical challenges such as climate change and food security. They're now analysing initial contributions from more than 300 members of the public to measure the benefits of nature for people. The results will be revealed shortly as part of the Nature Unlocked programme at the Wild Botanic Garden in Sussex. With me to explain more is Learning Manager at Wakehurst, Julie Wellen. Julie, thanks for joining me. Tell us a little bit more about why you're doing this research and why it's so important. So we're doing this research and our part of the research is looking at the benefits, uh, the well-being benefits, if you like, of connecting with nature for young people. And um, I think it's an incredibly important time to be doing that post-lockdown, considering that so many young people um, report problems with their emotional well-being and mental health, and so many young people spend so much time online. And it's, you know, we, we kind of know anecdotally um, that nature is good for us, if you like, and this is a way of quantifying it. And it forms part of our Nature Unlocked programme, which was launched in 2021. And there are four uh, um, arms of that. We've got a carbon arm, pollination arm, hydrology, and this is the well-being arm. And that's divided into adults, where over 300 adults are coming through um, our, our gardens, wearing heart rate monitors and filling questionnaires. And then our part is um, with the learning programme with children, where we've had over 1,100 children from local schools who haven't visited Wakehurst before, trying to um, quantify the well-being effects for them of connecting with nature. 
And how exactly um, are the students contributing? Are, are they doing the same things as the adults or is it slightly different? It's slightly different because obviously there are slightly different issues with children. But um, so the adults have had heart rate monitors on as they've gone around the gardens. With the children, we have, we approached, we used it as an outreach opportunity, first of all. So we approached 36 new classes from schools within an hour of Wakehurst who didn't currently visit. Um, and often these were schools with like a high pupil premium rate where perhaps it's more difficult to fund a school trip. And those children have come along and before, two weeks before their visit, they fill out uh, questionnaires which um, report on their um, emotional well-being, on their um, what they already have in terms of nature connectedness. And there's also interestingly a little section in there about um, their colour preferences and any associations they already have uh, with colours to emotions or what they perceive to be um, positive or negative colours. Because then at the end of what we lead them through, they redo those questionnaires to see whether there's been a change in their connectedness to nature and their mental well-being. But also uh, they do three drawings. And for those drawings, they choose a colour and they have to draw a picture of themselves uh, as they are usually in nature, a sort of neutral picture when they're neither happy nor sad, and they choose a colour and do a picture of themselves as Wakehurst made them feel. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to all the results coming in in October, hopefully. Sounds interesting. What changes to our lives are you hoping that the research will lead to? Well, like I said, it's quite exciting to be able to quantify this well-being effect of not just being in nature, because all the research points to the fact that you can't just be in nature for it to have a good effect on you, you have to actually connect with it. So a big part of what we've been doing here is being sort of not teaching the children, but kind of modelling for them and almost giving them permission to pause, to connect with nature, to lie on their bellies and look through the grass. Um, And it's been really exciting because they've really engaged with that. And we're hoping that they, in turn, will then go on and teach their families and um, parents, carers, bring them back to Wakehurst or in their own green spaces and learn how to do that. And then the aim of the whole of um, Nature Unlocked, which this is just a part of, is basically finding nature-based solutions to the challenges that we face, really, such as loss of biodiversity, climate change, um, so that we can start to inform decisions and land management policies um, so certainly in terms of education, it's about giving value to that, to that which we often don't give value to, the, the, the sort of um, the art of being still and noticing nature. And there's a, the curriculum is so packed that often, often there's no time for that. It sounds like a really rewarding programme to be part of. Have you been happy with the way things have been going so far? It's, it's been lovely for us because obviously ordinarily we our sessions support the national curriculum. So pupils come here and from nursery to A-level, we will provide a session which will tick various national curriculum boxes, if you like, will be very, very fun, but we'll still, in order, in order to fund those, those trips, they have to, like, you know, time with the curriculum. So it's been really nice for us to concentrate a little bit more on, on the well-being as well. And then those, those lessons from the national curriculum kind of happen automatically without the children knowing. And how will visitors be able to engage with the Nature and Lock programme? Have you got other events going on? So we are running uh, and will be running all sorts of citizen science type um, activities where they might be able to take part in things such as pollination counts, 
because we're looking at um, biodiverse environments and the way in which they might maximise the benefits for pollinators. And um, there'll be lots of other exciting things. And in the meantime, they can catch up on our website as to where we've got to so far. We're very much looking forward to seeing the reports of um, the sort of well-being effects on the children of our landscapes here. But also because we've chosen three habitats to do it in, we've done uh, meadow, uh, wetland and woodland. We're actually quite interested to see whether there's a difference between the three habitats. So is it just being in nature that makes you that increases your mental well-being or is, is perhaps one habitat better you know what about it what about those habitats makes makes us have that sense of well-being and reminders what's the website address to go to if you want to find out more go to q.org and you can find out more and look up look up nature unlocked you can find out all the latest information there and there's also been quite a bit of it on the um tv program that's been happening the q a year in bloom is on channel five on tuesdays Fantastic. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing some insight in what you've been up to. Thank you for having me. Now, Men's Share Listening Group is a voluntary support service for men aged 18 plus who may be going through a tough and challenging time in their lives. Graham Deering and Rhys Davies from the group joined Paul Tolmy for his mid-morning show a couple of weeks ago to tell us more. Before we take a listen, a warning that this interview contains sensitive topics that may be inappropriate for our younger listeners. So uh, Men's Share was established about a year ago by a gentleman called Sean Orr um, and another guy called John Green. Um, basically, there were two local guys, uh, pretty much local celebrities in the community, who uh, decided that their only uh, solution over lockdown was to end their own lives. Um, it seemed that they had nowhere they felt they could turn to discuss the issues that they were trying to deal with. And uh, that was effectively their solution. So... The objective of the group was really to set up a safe space for men to come and just talk openly about the problems that they have. Um, and, you know, we're not necessarily saying that we can fix all the problems, but we can certainly provide a lot of support and, um, and assistance with, with that sort of thing. We run two circles a week at the moment in Crawley, um, both in Crabtree Road at the Baptist Church there in West Green. Um, we run a circle that starts at 7 o'clock on a Monday night and also 7 o'clock on a Wednesday evening. Um, you don't have to book in advance. You don't have to have permission or registration or anything. You can just turn up. Um, and again, the, the evening, the typical structure is that we'll start off the evening. We all individually are invited to check in. But again, you know, especially for new members, some people find it really hard to open up and start talking in front of a bunch of strangers. So there's no pressure for people to feel obliged to kind of chime in. But, uh, you know, if they want to, they're more than welcome just to sort of say, where they are right now to sort of talk about what their issues they're currently dealing with and what's been happening in the last week. And then generally in the second half of the evening, we'll either pick on a theme that's been raised um, by one or more of the men during the discussions, or we'll do a process which tries to address one of those particular areas. And again, you know, as typically we won't sort of pick on one of the men who's it's their first evening to kind of uh, talk about something that they're going through. It might be a bit too close to the bone. It might be a bit triggering so and either way you know we would generally ask in advance to say you know are you happy for us to kind of work on this particular thing or you know is that going to cause too much strain or stress for you uh the evenings are generally about two hours in duration <clears throat> so that's typically the weekly circles in addition to that we offer opportunities to go out and do nature walks once a month i think it's usually the second sunday in every month 
and additionally we uh, we invite men to get out in nature for uh, a weekend uh, usually once every couple of months or so again that's a little bit fluid and subject to change but that's the kind of objective um, and on these weekends we really try and get out into nature and switch off mobile phones and really step out of the the modern day stresses and the the trials and tribulations of everyday life just to really be present in nature and to listen to each other and uh, again run through some processes dealing with different areas I intentionally won't go into a lot of detail with that because I know that some of the men will be uh, joining us again in a, another nature weekend very soon and uh, there's a lot of magic there uh, and I don't want to detract from that in any way I myself was part of <clears throat> excuse me one of the uh, participants on the last nature week had in Ju nature weekend we had in July and it was a, a fantastic experience um, it was emotionally, physically, and mentally draining. By the end of the weekend, I was absolutely shattered. But um, as a part of attending that weekend, it really kind of brought to light some of the issues that I didn't even realize that I was carrying around with me um, around different subjects. And uh, by the end of the weekend, I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders, and I was I was really able to kind of move forward and, and uh, enjoy my life more. So uh, I'd certainly recommend any guys who have the chance to do that Again, all the services that the uh, the group operates are for free. There's no charge for anything. Uh, the weekends, the circles, the walks, nothing is charged for. We don't expect any sort of contribution in any way. And uh, again, just in addition to the services that I've already mentioned, uh, we also, through the different contacts we've made through the group, we offer a service where um, there's a gentleman who specializes in helping people find work. So, you know, quite a few of the men that we've dealt with have issues and a lot of concerns around finding work they don't necessarily have a great deal of confidence um, so we can help them or this 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 other team can help them put their cvs together help them identify what areas they could indeed be suitable for work and uh, help them with interview practice and stuff uh, there's also uh, counseling of cbt and that sort of thing uh, cognitive behavioral therapy so more sort of a psychological and psychotherapy and in addition, there's a guy who's a professional life coach who has uh, is, is volunteered to step in and help guys kind of, if they're struggling with their careers or the direction, to kind of help them clarify those sort of issues. So again, a, a huge range of services that's, uh, that's available and it's expanding all the time. And uh, primarily it is for men. Um, we, we focus on men of 18 years and above. Um, but apart from that, it's open to pretty much anyone within that bracket. And just again, we do. There is a separate group called Sister Share, which uh, which has now been established in Crawley, which supports women. Um, we again, our own personal experience. This isn't a general rule, but our own personal experience is that it's generally men who are much more struggling to to, to step forward and to have a place to deal with their issues. But uh, just wanted to add that there is a Sister Share group specifically for women that's set up. Rich, let's bring you in because you've you've uh, you've you've found help through the group, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. Because I yeah. think you you lost your brother. I was reading. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, like I've gone through like pretty like tough few years. Um, like I lost my brother through suicide on his thirtieth birthday in twenty twenty. Um, I was really in a dark place at the time. Um, really struggling to you know get on with life. Uh, you know, fighting for my children also to see them. Um, you know, then after after that, you know, I discovered this group, and obviously I was a bit I was a bit anxious at first. You know, I wasn't sure whether mm -hmm. if, you know this would be something for me. I was a bit nervous, like meeting new people and talking about you know delicate subjects. Um, 
you know, um, but, you know, I came to, to, you know, one, then it was two, three, and I, I found myself, you know, just, I felt a lot better. It's, it's nice being able to relate to people who, you know, you're not, you're not on your own at the end of the day, even though you may think you are, there are someone there, there may be someone else who's going through something very similar to you, or if not even worse, you know, people, people who have, who've been born into it and it's not their fault, you know, like there are people who have gone through far, far worse things. But um, this group has really made me, it, it, it just, it's helped me look at life differently, you know, like how, you know, you always treat others how you want to be treated and even, you know, even when people are treating you bad, you know, like, you know, that they, they may, you know, look like a bad person, but, you know, something's obviously eating them up inside, you mm. know, and it's like, they probably just want help, you know, and that's that's our aim really in this group is just to help people and yeah, I think that's 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 life, you know, like you gotta spread love and, you know, help, you know, and just do I mean, you know, I was I was having this discussion, I was at a men's share last night, you know, and it was like um, you know, saying, Oh, if you, you do a favour, say if I helped a lady down the street, you know, someone would think like, Oh, you know, is he is he wanting extra from her or something like that? Mm. You know, but you know, sorry, I'm rambling on a no, bit no, here. No, but basically, um, yeah, it's just I don't know. When you help people nowadays, I know people think there's always more to it. You know, you're helping them because you want something or something. But like, I don't know. You should just help people because you want to help people, and like, you know, not care what others think. You know, if you want to do good, like which I do now. You know, so many people have helped me. You know, I was actually in isolation recently. Uh, I got monkeypox, believe it or not, and I don't know how. No. Like, it's just it's very random. Um, but I had to isolate, and you know, I was I was unable to see my children. Um, you know, I was struggling. You know, I've only been able to call them every couple of weeks, etc. Um, still haven't received any payments or anything. I was really struggling financially, and you know, some of the brothers in the group, you know, helped me pull through. You know, they got me some shopping delivered. And, um, you know, when I've come out, you know, I've had days out with people, mm. you know, like Graham, you know, lovely person, like just fantastic people. You know, I've had friends for like, you know, 10, 20 years, you know, and I, I just think the people in the men's share that they, they care for you more like than than someone who you consider your best friend. Mm. You know, I get everyone has their busy lives, but I don't know. It's just nice to be in a group where you're not judged. You know, everything's confidential, so you don't have to worry about someone talking or gossiping about you. And it's just, it is a really good place. And like, it's really helped me pull through over the years. Like, um, you know, I still struggle with things, but um, you know, I always ask for advice, and you know, I've found different ways to you know cope and you know deal with situations and um you know i have this group to thank you mm. know if it wasn't for this group you know i could be i don't know maybe locked up or even dead you know yeah. like it's, it's 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 very it's very tough you know like i don't have much family but um you know like all the brothers in this group you know they're like family to me and, mm. and that's um that's that's what it's all about the sensitive conversation then turned to the subject of whether men are sometimes too proud to ask for help yeah, and I think society doesn't really help. There's a certain expectation that, mm. you know, if you say um, if you say as a man I have a problem, some people's reaction will be like, oh, just grow a pair or, yeah. you know, just get over it. Everybody has problems. You know, what's your problem? What's your big deal? What makes you special? But, um, no, I, I think that's right, that uh, it, it can be really hard and it takes a lot for people to stand up and say, you know, I've, I've got a problem. But um, 
I'd just like to add a little bit about, about something Reese said, that um, everybody has their own issues and everybody's problems are unique, but um, there's a lot of empathy in the group, and I think that's incredibly powerful, that people will have common experiences with depression or anxiety or PTSD or a range of different problems. And um, to actually hear from different people how they've dealt with their own issues and what they've found has worked for them can be tremendously powerful. And I think the... Uh, the sense of brotherhood and the the um, empathy and the, the 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 group feeling that that engenders, I think, is very very powerful, and that's one of the key things with uh, the men share group. And also, again, we have a very active WhatsApp group, and we've just introduced a buddying scheme so that at least every person in the group will get a call once a week from someone else within the group um, who's going to actively support them and just check how things are going. But even if they can't make it to the circles, you know, there's still, there's a lot more to support. it than just the session. Absolutely. The session. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're, they're quite key, but they're not the only element by any means. Mm. And, and, and people can literally just walk, walk through the door. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, in. we have a number of people referred through different services, yeah. uh, through the NHS as indeed I was, um, through, people coming out of prison through people being coming out of the armed services and various different sources but yeah there's absolutely um you know all, all men are welcome to attend the sessions there's no requirement to pre-book or to fill in any forms or to disclose any information just rock up if that if that's what you want to do and again i'd like to re-emphasize that there's no pressure to actually speak or actually be uh, engaged in the sessions initially if you want to just come along and find out if it's something that could be helpful to you then by all means show up i think like the hardest step is you know taking that first step yeah. to your first meeting you yeah. know like i went to one last night and there was two people i saw there who it was their second time and it's like mate fair play to you, you know you come back they feel safe they feel welcome and that's that's what it's all about but as soon as you take that step in the door i guarantee you know you'd want to come back you you may go in with like a weight on your shoulder and then just by talking and like how, how they deal with it, you know, you go back and I, I can guarantee you feel a lot better. Yeah. And of course, you'd always be in the group just a message away. It's like a 24 hour mm. sort of thing. But I think it's, it's so important nowadays with men's health. You know, I think it's a thing that's being talked about a lot more now, um, you know, and obviously there are other groups, you know, that I've seen, you know, I look a lot on social and, you know, I think it's fantastic, you know. Um, I think Sean was asked last time, you know, oh, does it bother you that there are other ones, like, similar to, you know, competition? It's not about the competition. No, no. It's about people's health. It's not about the finance. It's not about the money. It's just about your well-being. And I, I think that's the beauty of this place, you know. You've got people with, you know, hearts of gold. And, um, yeah, like, I just think it's a fantastic thing they do. And even if if this reaches out to one person or a hundred people, then it's someone that's that's going to engage with it and listen. And absolutely, I mean, we are actively expanding our operations as well. I mean, yeah. we run these two groups a week on Monday and Wednesday nights in uh, Crabtree Road in Crawley. Currently, we've literally this week just started up a new operation in Horsham to support men there. And again, um, another group in Hawley is on the cards very soon. And personally, I have ambitions to expand the group a little further as well maybe to East Grinstead or mm. to um, to Rygate so again you know the more men that we can possibly help the better uh, we've got a well established model uh, Sean's been involved with this type of work for any number of years I think about 20 years I believe and has a lot of experience um, and he's you know really keen to kind of reach out to men wherever we can help them I mean obviously we have restrictions but um, 
you know, I think our group is probably about 50 members strong or, or more at the moment. And, you know, it's getting bigger all the time. And that's great. You know, the more people we can support and help, the better. You, uh, you've worked with a lot of other courses as well that you wanted to do a shout out to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actively support the Olive Tree um, and uh, St. Catherine's Hospice in particular. You know, they do an amazing job. And uh, I think they in turn refer people to us if they're dealing with recent grief or impending grief from uh, bereavement. So, um, you know, that's a very powerful thing to do. And indeed, um, a group of us actively helped um, the St. Catherine's Hospice group on Saturday with their midnight walk in Broadbridge Heath over towards Horsham. And I personally was uh, a big part of that as well. I uh, started working for them about four in the afternoon and got home about 3.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, having been out most of the night helping set things up and then being a, a route marshal for them so directing people and entertaining them or so we hope <laughs> and encouraging them in their efforts to, to raise money for that fantastic cause my own mother was in a hospice for a while before she passed away so it is a cause that's close to my heart mm. it's, it's great that everyone just networks and supports each other so um, if anyone's out there listening and, said, and thinking right this sounds like it could be for me they can come along Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, um, from being in a position where I was ready to throw away my career as a chartered accountant yeah. uh, when I joined this group at the end of April, um, thinking that, OK, I couldn't deal with the pressure and stress of it anymore. I uh, completely turned that around in my own personal journey. Mm. Um, now I'm loving life and really kind of uh, living life with purpose and um, energy. And um, I've stepped up into a more lead leadership role within the group. So Going forward, as I said, I mean, Sean has carried a lot of the weight of this and a big shout out to him for his efforts and his uh, his, his energy and all that's got us this far. But um, the intention going forward is that I will be one of four pillars that's kind of driving this group forward um, in the future. And indeed, I've stepped up to be the treasurer for the group. So, you know, um, funding is obviously important to us as we don't charge for any of our services. So that's one of my key areas of focus at the moment, getting down to apply for various sources of funding to uh, to help us expand our services and carry on doing and it's got doing. real momentum now hasn't it so you want to keep that going it definitely has got momentum yeah so we want to keep that going and drive it forward i mean i have to say we've got a really good team with us now um so you know within with it between us between the four of us i think we've got a really strong group we are actually looking for more people to step in and help out on a, in a leadership capacity um, I will be actually running the Wednesday night groups myself going forward. But um, again, we always try and run a model where we have uh, a backup for that. So we have like a number two, as you will. So um, we're looking to fill various positions, but also, you know, to actively drive forward and help administer the group. The bigger the beast gets, the more effort and time it takes to keep it running and to uh, keep it moving forward. So, um, you know, we are definitely acting as a professional organization now we've got a lot of t's and c's um and you know i have to say i'm, I'm pretty impressed by the way this group's been run so far they've dotted all the i's crossed all the t's and uh, you know we have to we're governed by um certain bodies and indeed we may end up becoming a registered charity so we'll be subject to the rules of the cic um the, the charities commission so uh, that's something i've had some experience with is in my professional career um, and, um, you know, we, they, they do really well to kind of tick all the boxes and make sure we stay on track. But um, we need to make sure that we kind of manage this professionally and, and well going forward. And I think we've got a really good team in place to do that. But we are always looking for other people who feel an urge to step in and help us with that. So, mm. 
if you're out there and you're interested, please get in touch. It's an award-winning one as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So always, always, always drop the award in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My local hero, wasn't it? Yeah, like uh, so it was at the Hulf, um, yeah. yeah, months ago. Um, yeah, because they they won for like um, yeah, like a really like good charity, like mm. helping out and that. But it is really fantastic what they do, and I'd recommend it. Like any any brothers out there, or even sisters with the sister share. Obviously, they run on different days, don't they, Graham? Is it Tuesdays yeah. and Thursdays? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. To be completely honest, I haven't had a lot of dealings with that group. I think it's just a one night a week at the moment, but uh, as to when it is or where it is, I couldn't tell you. But I'm sure if you look at the website for menshalisteninggroup.org, I think it is. Nice. Um, I'm sure it'll be, or even if you just Google Sister Share Listening Group uh, or Men Share Listening Group, I'm sure you'll find that information without any uh, any real problem. And you're both testimony to the fact that it, it works. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm really fired up about you know what this group has done and what we can achieve so um i i think it's really powerful mm. um yeah 100 percent. i i do think like i'm in a much better place now than i was before obviously i, I do have like you know my friends and all that which you know like i appreciate what they've done too but like you know this group as well they they've they've helped me come far and yeah. I, you know i, I think it has very much become a band of brothers um and again like this this um nature weekend really kind of enhanced my uh, opinion and uh, feelings towards some of these guys that's even being testament to sharing and some of the stuff that they've gone through has really kind of given me a greater level of respect for them and um, yeah I, I certainly more than happy to put myself out for a lot of them personally and uh, professionally so if you or someone you know would benefit from support from the Men Share Listening Group, then their sessions are held every Monday and Wednesday evening at 7pm at the Crawley Baptist Church on Crabtree Road in Crawley. More details are available online at mensharelisteninggroup.co.uk. That's mensharelisteninggroup.co.uk. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Monday, Chris Watts was joined by renowned journalist Jennifer Glass. She's been an international correspondent since 1993, working across the world, often in war zones, for broadcasters such as the BBC, CNN, ABC and, most recently, Al Jazeera. During her career, she was lucky enough to meet Her Majesty the Queen and reflected upon her experience of that occasion. It was 2007 and it was a great privilege I was invited, she was, she was the, the patron of the college that I attended here in London, the Royal College of Defense Studies, and she was uh, coming to visit, and I was one of the lucky alumni uh, invited to come. Oh, she came along with Prince Philip. Oh, great. And even though the moment must have been brief, it's a moment you'll always remember, I imagine. It is. You know, the college says, please arrive early, please be properly dressed. So we had come and all the ladies had gathered in the dressing room downstairs, all getting ready, making sure everybody's hair was perfect. We were all curling each other's hair, making sure everyone's makeup is okay. And then you go up into one of the grand rooms of the college and they go through all the protocol, what you can do, what you can't do, do, you know, do curtsy. If you feel, if you feel like you wish to curtsy, it's not obligatory. It's ma'am like jam. Uh, do not touch the queen unless she extends her hand to you. And every time they did the do's and don'ts, uh, the college secretary would look at me pointedly as if I was going to be the person who embarrassed embarrassed the college. And there was a bunch of senior people in the room. And I was like, look, what? I'm, I'm all dressed up. I'm in, my, I'm in my best clothes. I'm in beautiful high heels. I swear I'll be good. I swear I'll be good. And the one thing that really struck me is he said her, her majesty does not like it when the room goes silent when she walks in. 
And I thought, oh, well, that's not going to be a problem for us. These guys are all senior military. They're senior diplomats. You know, everybody is very, very well practiced in this. Uh, Prince Philip came in. It was all lovely. He came and chatted with our group and then went around to other members of the group. And then he went off into another room. And then these giant grand wooden doors opened and there she was. And the room went silence. And I turned to the guy next to me, I was like, no, 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 no. Keep talking. Keep talking. Just don't stare. Keep talking. Tell tell the person next to you what you had for breakfast. You you keep talking. Keep talking. And I can understand how it would make one feel uncomfortable. Um, and she came over to our group and uh, was introduced uh, introduced around and and recognized one of the uh, one of the diplomats in our group who was you know thrilled. She's like, oh my goodness, can you imagine? It was you know, a year ago or two years ago that she was at this reception. And then she turned to me and she said, I understand you're the only journalist who's ever come here. Why would you, why would you choose here? And I said, well, your majesty, look, look around just in this group. You have a Romanian diplomat next to a Turkish diplomat next to an Indonesian military official. And I went through everybody in our group of eight or nine and got to, I felt like I'd included everybody. And, and it was just a, a magical moment. It really was. I, I felt like I had hit the the uh, the grown up stakes. You know, like I was poised and together in front of the queen. Yeah, and as you say, she reached so many people, didn't she, around the world? Absolutely. And you know, you get a sense. I I was fortunate enough. I have I have been to other royal events. I was at an event with a uh, with then Prince Charles, now King Charles, and of course this event with the Queen. And you it you are struck at how many you know how much public service there has been you know that was she was 81 then I think that was that was one of three events she had that day you know and present engaged you saw her I saw her laugh with you know she had a very special spot for the military and of course this this college is run very senior military officials who have obviously come into contact with her uh, before and so there was just a, a, a real sense of of joy and camaraderie lots of smiling um, and you realize what a hard job it is, you know, like not an easy job, obviously full of privilege, but definitely service. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And yeah, fantastic. You got to meet her. And of course, we're all in a, a period of mourning um, over here. I, I was lucky enough. I went up to Buckingham Palace and I put some flowers down. And it's sad, isn't it? I mean, it's inevitable, of course. I mean, the passing of Queen Elizabeth is truly the end of an era. I don't know that Britain will ever have such beloved a monarch again because thrust into it at such a young age and at a time when Britain was going through so much change and then she just was a force of stability for so long you know and 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 through to the very end I think what really struck me was that on on the Tuesday she oversaw the transition of power between Boris Johnson and Liz Truss and on Thursday she was gone right very very end you know she served uh Britain with great dignity and majesty and honor and i know that there are some who you know have different feelings about the monarchy but say what you will she's a woman who you know believed in serving the country and doing the best for the country and in a very selfless unpolitical manner which of course is such a is such a change today yeah and i i don't know whether i i mentioned it but you know it was it was such a, a tumultuous day and so so kind of fraught with all of the niceties around it that it didn't really strike me until I was I was leaving the I was leaving the college and going to another event and and hopped into a black cab and the and the cabbie said to me, Well, you're all dressed up, you know, are you are you off to do something? And I said, Actually, I've just met the Queen. Oh wow. And he stops and he 
And he looks in the rearview mirror and he's like, you know, people live to be a hundred and never meet the queen. And it really hit me. It really, you know. Fantastic. As you say, with the queen, she was also our link to World War II, wasn't she? She saw, you know, she she lived through World War II. She worked through World War II. I think that just gave her a very special opportunity as well, because I think the people felt connected to her. Um, and I just think there's just an advantage to ascending to the throne at that young an age and bringing the country. Like, she has seen momentous changes. So when I met her in 2007, she was 81. The first iPhone was six months old. <laughs> yeah. How many has there been since? <laughs> right. We're on iPhone 14. I think she moved with the times. You know, she was obviously the first to have a royal website. Her father did not have a royal website and, and she embraced that and and then moved forward into social media. So I think she I think she understood that she had to modernize the monarchy as much as she could, but also keep its traditions. And I think she did that with amazing grace and 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 in, in, in like not with a lot of flash or fanfare as was her real trademark but really yeah she just kind of quietly ushered it in and it's like okay we have to have a website because everybody has a website and so she had a website and then embrace the times yeah and then twitter right now the royal family you know the royal family royal family's on twitter and so yeah how big are the royal family in america so i just moved back here two years ago so I, I I lived in Britain for for a very long time. You know, I think they're a fascination. I do. I think there are people who are, are obsessed with them. I think there's a you know a, a section of people that that really are fascinated by the monarchy. And and it's been you know they I know people have come to England just to go to Buckingham Palace just to see the royal palaces. And you know they've been a they've been a great draw. I imagine William and Kate are quite popular over there. Very. And of course, you know, the whole the whole Harry and Meghan episode has been massive as well. So, uh, you know, I, yes, there it is very interesting now with this whole concept of celebrity to I think the royal family has a difficult balance. You know, William and Kate are are celebrities as well as royals. And that's a and that's it's a balance. It's just it's, I think it's a hundredfold worse than, than in Diana's day when it was just paparazzi. Now everybody's paparazzi. You know, everybody has a camera. So everything you do, I mean, everything you do anyway is under scrutiny. Just look at that whole episode with King Charles and the pen. Just gone <laughs> viral. It's a, it's, look, it's a very challenging, it's a, again, privileged, wealthy, but challenging. You know, you are in the public eye for your whole life and and you're there to serve the public, and, you know, it's... It's a tough job. It's a life of service, isn't it? I mean... It is a life of service, and you just, you're not afforded bad days in public. You're not afforded crankiness in public. It, it will not, is not done. You know, and I think... It's hard on Charles at the moment, you know, because his mother's just passed, passed away, and he's doing all these events, isn't he? He has to keep being happy and smiling and waving, so it must be quite hard for him. It's a, it's a difficult, look, it's a difficult time, and it's difficult enough to do it in private, to do it in public, of course, is is a challenge, but he has had 70 years, 72 years to prepare. He knew what was entailed in this. Yes, it will be, it will be an interesting time, I think, for Britain moving forward. I just, even, even me with have, changing everything from the Queens to the Kings. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the Kings this, the Kings that, and you're like, oh, it wait. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Well, because it was the Kings Royal Artillery before. Why wasn't it the Queens Royal Artillery? So they stay. But some other things change. You know, the mon the money is going to change. Yeah, I'm waiting for that. The is on all the mailboxes will change. You know, I just, 
the it's... national anthem. That sounds very weird, singing God Save the King instead of God Save the Queen. <laughs> I bet, I bet. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a changeable, interesting time. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, Jennifer. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on MeridianFM.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.